As we prepare to go to God's word, let's first go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We thank you for the gift of music. We thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you for the gift of scripture. As we turn to your word this morning, we ask that you would be here with us. We ask that the same spirit who inspired the writing of these words would uh, fill our sanctuary today. That we might uh, come to hear your word and know who you are and who you are calling us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we prepare for our scripture lesson this morning, uh, I want to give you just a, a brief introduction to our passage. Um, this morning, uh, we'll be reading from Leviticus chapter 19. And we did this at the early service, which has fewer people, so uh, the answer was less in doubt. But I, just out of curiosity, I know this is very un-Presbyterian. But if you wouldn't mind, could you please raise your hand if Leviticus is your favorite book of the Bible? <laughs> yeah, see, you know, it looked exactly like that at the early service. Um, Leviticus is not the book that we read the most. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting part of Scripture. And if I had to summarize um, what we are doing as a church this year in two words, I think I would say we're doing the Bible together. Uh, we've been uh, using this curriculum called the story to lead us through the, the, the large story of Scripture. And one of the great things about uh, studying the Bible together like this is it, it kind of nudges us into the books we don't, always, uh, we don't always spend a lot of time in. It nudges us into the passages and the books and the stories we might otherwise miss. Um, and there's something in, in Leviticus, even though none of us raised our hands, um, there is something really foundational in Leviticus. Leviticus helps us understand the, the rest of Scripture. And so today we're going to read from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 to 18. So with that in mind, let's now uh, turn our attention to God's word. Leviticus 19, 9 to 18. Listen to the word of God. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, and you shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal. And you shall not keep for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall not reprove your neighbor, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of your commands, for the gift of your law, for the gift of Scripture. 
As we reflect on your words this day, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts, our ears and our lives, that we might come to know who you are and who you are calling us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. These are the rules. There they are. A whole list of rules. In fact, if, if you look at the book of Leviticus, it's almost entirely lists of rules. This is why we didn't raise our hands. Uh, the book of Leviticus, it can be a tough read. If you start at Genesis, you find all the great stories about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, about Noah and the ark, about Abraham and Sarah. Then you get to Exodus and you get the stories about uh, Moses and the Pharaoh and the people and the Exodus. And then you get to Leviticus and you get lists and lists of commandments. And it's not entirely lists of rules, but, but almost. And as we, we read these lists and lists of rules, it seems a little bit strange that the first thing God would give to the people after setting them free would be lists of rules. God set them free and then gave them commandments. It seems a, kind of a strange choice from God. And yet, there's something very important about, about rules, about law, about order, about commandments. There's uh, something that, that gives, gives shape and identity and purpose. It's hard to see when you look at, at such a, a large scale. When, we, when you look at, at the, the life of a nation or a people group, it's hard to understand just how important the rules and laws can be. So instead of focusing uh, completely on the people of Israel, let's Let's, uh, let's zoom in. Let's do something a, a little more specific. Something smaller, more narrow. Something we can, we can really imagine. So to do this, let's, let's do some thought experiments. Now we'll use our imaginations. Again, not very Presbyterian. Just don't tell anyone. We're going to use our imaginations. And what I would like for you to imagine is I'd like for you to imagine that you're in a, in a park outside. And it's, it's our imagination. We can do this however we'd like. Let's make it a beautiful sunny day. And on a beautiful sunny day, you're out in the park. You're sitting there. Uh, maybe you have an ice cream cone. If it's my imagination, I have an ice cream cone. And we're sitting on the park. And uh, two people cross the street with great purpose. They're headed into the park, walking, uh, walking with direction. They, they have an intent. And as we watch them walking into the park... We become very curious about what they're going to do. And we watch as they, they cross over in front of us and they head towards the side of the park where uh, there's a row of tables. And now we start to think maybe we know what they're going to do. And they, they sit on either side of the table and they produce a, a folded board that they open up on the table and it's covered with black and white squares. They're in the park with black and white squares and we start to think maybe we know what they're going to do they're probably going to play chess. We can tell they're going to play chess because, I mean, when you look at them, honestly, they just sort of look like chess people. I don't know what that is, but they look like chess people, and they've got a chess board. They are chess people sitting in a chess place, and they unfold the chess board, and they produce a little case, and they get out the chess pieces. So we've got chess people in a chess place with chess things. People place things, all the ingredients to make a noun. We got the people to place the things. They, they, they unfold the chessboard and they start to set up the chess pieces. So we know that they're going to play chess. Except 
you watch a little more closely as they set out the chess pieces, and they're not they're not putting them in the right places. It's not traditional for the queen to go in the front corner. So as they set up the chess pieces, something seems to be odd, and you watch as they play the game, and you're pretty sure this isn't chess until the moment that you notice a pawn jump a king. And now you know this is not chess. They are not playing chess. They are playing checkers with chess pieces. It turns out you can play checkers with chess pieces. It's a little awkward, but you can do it. What makes the game chess, it's not the people, it's not the place, it's not the things. It's the rules. It's the way the pieces interact with each other. That's what defines the game. That's what gives the game purpose. That's what makes shape for the game of chess. It's the rules, the order, the limitations, the commandments, the laws that govern the pieces on the board. The rules give the game its identity. Now, I also know that not every, whatever it is that makes a chess person a chess person, not everyone is a chess person. So let's, let's, let's shift our, uh, our thought experiment. Let's do a different experiment. Let's imagine you're out for a walk. Once again, a beautiful day, another ice cream cone in hand, and you're walking past an elementary school just when the recess bell rings and the doors are thrown open as the children stream out of the school and head down toward the baseball diamond. And you look in their hands and the children have one of those great big uh, red rubber playground balls. And these are elementary school kids. They're headed to a baseball diamond and they have a playground ball. These are kickball people holding a kickball headed to a kickball place. So we know they're going to play kickball, except when they get to the baseball diamond, they don't, uh, they don't line up uh, on the outfield and line up and to, to do the batting order. Instead, they line up on either side of the third baseline and begin to hurl this red rubber ball at one another's heads with great malintent. And we know they're not playing kickball, they are playing the time-honored sport of dodgeball. You can tell the difference between kickball and dodgeball not by the people or the place or the things, but by the rules, by the ways that the people interact with one another, by the the laws that they follow, by the relationships you watch unfold. That's the difference between kickball and dodgeball. The, The commandments give the game purpose. They give it shape. They give it identity. But of course, These are both uh, sport references, (laughs) broadly defined sport references. But if if you wanted to think about something else and and see if if laws and rules are just as important outside of games, let's let's appeal to another group of people in our congregation. Let's imagine instead of uh, taking a walk outside or sitting in a park, let's imagine you're sitting in front of your favorite bookshelf. If you're a little bit less excited about recess and a little more excited about literature class, this is the example for you. Imagine you're sitting in front of a bookshelf filled with your favorite books. And again, this is our imagination. So we can make these any books you want. In fact, these are all first edition, signed and personalized copies of your favorite stories. I mean, like Shakespeare wrote you a note inside Romeo and Juliet. This is the bookshelf we're, we're looking at. So as you look at this, at this bookshelf with your favorite books and plays and stories and poems, 
Oh, you've got the person, that's you. You've got the place, the bookshelf, and you've got the things, all of the books. But then let's imagine that uh, someone walks in and takes the books off the shelf and pulls out a pen knife. And before you can act, they carefully cut out every one of the pages. And through your tears, you watch as they shuffle all the pages and put them back on the shelf. And all of a sudden you realize it was not the person or the place or the things that made that a shelf of stories. It was the rules. It was the order of the pages. The limitations that kept page 16 before page 17 instead of before page 212. It's the order that gave that shelf its identity and its purpose. But let's go a step further. That same vandal uh, grabs the pages again and puts them back uh, in front and, and cuts out each individual letter. This takes a long time, so we'll wait for a second in your imagination. And so now, once the letters are all taken out, our vandal takes them and puts them back on the shelf in alphabetical order. So now, you no longer have a shelf full of signed first editions. You have a really weird alphabet. And that's all you've got. Right? Because what, what made those letters into words was the rules of spelling. And what made those words into sentences was the, the rules of grammar. And what made the sentences into paragraphs and the paragraphs into pages and the pages of stories was the rules and the logic and the order and the limitations and the commandments. It wasn't the person. It wasn't the place. It wasn't the things. It was the rules that turned those letters into stories. This works with, with great art as well. I assure you, if you hand me paint and a canvas, I will not produce a masterpiece. I can't do it. Right? What, what makes a masterpiece is not just a painter and paint and a canvas hanging in a museum. It's, it's, it's the, the shape that arises from the paint and the, the ratio of one color to another and the way the light hits it and the composition. It's the rules. It's the limitations. It's the commandments. It's the order. The rules, the commandments make shape. They give identity. They give purpose. God brought the people out of slavery into the wilderness. And what we might expect God to give them is a place, a promised land. But they're not ready yet. What we might expect God to give them is things, houses. But they're not ready yet. What we might expect God to give them is is more people, more offspring, uh, more friends to join in the journey. But they're not ready yet. They're not ready for more people or places or things. What they need first is a sense of purpose, a sense of identity. What they need is a book with lists of rules that will set them apart from every other nation, that will give them shape, that will give them their purpose, that will express their identity. The commandments express this set-apart identity of the people of God. And as we read these laws in Leviticus, we start to see uh, some, some really fascinating themes that occur over and over. And we see a wide variety of laws. Some of them apply very neatly to our lives. Some of them not so much. For example, um, if you were to continue reading in chapter 19, you'd find some of the laws about mixing of livestock. And you know, that has not come up for me all week. 
Um, mixing of livestock is not something I've done a whole lot of this week. But some, some of the laws, some of the rules, they, they do apply. And so as we look at all these different rules, it would be really handy if someone could just sit down with God and say, could you summarize all of this for us? As you look at all these rules, could you really just boil it down to like the one or two we really need to follow? And it just so happens that exact thing happened. In Matthew 22, a young man says to Jesus, uh, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds and he quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and he quotes from this passage, Leviticus 19. He says, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, on these two, the law and the prophets hang. All of it comes down to this notion of loving God and loving neighbor. The rules give shape to the people of God. The rules give shape to the Israelites and the rules give shape to who we are as a Presbyterian church. Uh, We know, whether we admit it or not, we know that our church is not defined by our building. This is actually our third building and it has changed several times over the years. Our our church is not defined by the people's names on the, the, the membership roster. The people's names, they change. We come and go and move. We're born, we die. It's not the place, it's not the people, and it's not the stuff. We've got so much stuff that is so important to us, but it's not the offering plates or even the bells or or the pulpit that defines our church. It's not the people, it's not the place, it's not the things. It's the commandments. It's the limitations. It's the rules. It's the laws. It's the choice to love God with our heart and soul and mind and strength. That makes us who we are. It's the choice to follow this limitation in this law that we will love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what defines our congregation. We are a people who have been called by God and we are a people who choose to love the Lord and to love our neighbors. And whether, whether that looks like making sure we leave some grapes in our vineyard for the poor or the alien or whether it looks like making sure our workplaces are caring for everyone at all levels. Whether it, whether it looks like not gleaning to the edge of our field or whether it looks like supporting feeding ministries. Whether it looks like not putting a stumbling block in front of the blind or the deaf or whether it looks like um, uh, contributing to neighbors in need. As a church, the law of God gives us our shape. It expresses our identity. It gives us our purpose. We are a people who love the Lord our God with our heart and soul and mind and strength. We are a people who love our neighbor as ourself. This is who we are. These are the rules. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.